turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2. going to begin reading in verse 11 in just a moment. There was a family that was intending to go out and raise some cattle, so this family from New York bought a ranch out west. And when their friends and family visited and inquired about the ranch's name, the would-be rancher replied, well, I wanted to name it Bar J Ranch. My wife wanted to name it Susie Q Ranch. One of our sons wanted to name it the Flying W Ranch. And the other liked the Lazy Y Ranch. And so the friends said, well, so why did you name it? Which one did you choose? And they said, well, we're calling it the Bar J Susie Q Flying W Lazy Y Ranch. The friend would come out to visit them, looked around, said, but where are all your cattle? And the rancher says, well, none of them survived the branding. Now, while this is a somewhat humorous story, unfortunately, sometimes Christian churches can become a lot like this family. Uh, the church separates into groups that each wants their own way and are not willing to compromise with one another, not willing to graciously Excuse me, graciously submit to one another as the scripture commands us to do. And when that happens, it's not uncommon for a, a new member or even a new Christian to get caught up in the conflict and not survive the conflict. Not long before the church ceases to be a witness in the community and eventually the, door, the, the church shutters its door and the, the last man walks away from the building and hands the keys to the realtor. While the church should be the epitome of unity and love, oftentimes it's not. Jesus said that the world would know his followers by their love. But unfortunately, it seems like the world today knows Christians more by the divisions, either of the past or the present. Christians since the 16th century have been known more by divisions than by unity. And even within the Southern Baptist Convention, there have been recently great divisions with people such as Beth Moore leaving the SBC because of some of this contentiousness amongst us. But such division in the greater denominational body is reflective of the division within our local churches. There have been long-running jokes about Baptist contentious business meetings. I've actually been involved in a few of those. Not in this church, but in some churches I've been in. Division abounds. But as Christians and as a church, we must stand together. So Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 to remind them that although Jews and Gentiles were once separated from one another through God's power, they become one in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin reading in verse 11. 
Father God, I pray today as we study your word that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to our, our spirits, and that our spirits would be united with your spirit. Lord God, that as we walk away today, that we would stand in unity with one another, that we would not be determined, not be known as a church of division, but one of unity, one of love. Lord God, that you would do a mighty act within us, do a mighty act in this community, do a mighty act within this nation nation that is so divided, oh God, would you bring healing to our land. Be with us as we study this morning. Pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Look with me beginning in verse 11. Paul the apostle writes, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Friends, this morning the first thing I want you to see, the first point, is that we were separated by sin. Now, As I look out here, I don't see anybody who's Jewish. If you are Jewish, I apologize, but I don't know anybody here that's Jewish. We're all Gentiles. So as Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he's writing to a Gentile, predominantly predominantly Gentile church. And so I think he's writing to us very specifically here as well. He says, you were separated by sin. The word that best describes the Gentiles prior to their acceptance of Christ is the word without. They were without. They were stuck on the outside looking in. The Jews were God's chosen people. All others were outside of God's people and were without. We'll look at each of those in just a moment. But I think this is a good picture for all of us. Every sinner that is here, and Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every sinner can identify with the Gentiles as Paul presents them here. We were all without. We were all outside. We were all stuck on the outside looking in and waiting, anticipating, whether we knew it or not, the work of Christ in our lives. So as we examine the ways that the Gentiles were without, we'll also see how we were without. Paul says first that at that time you were without the Messiah. You were without Christ. The Ephesians worshipped the Greek gods, the Greek pantheon, especially the goddess Diana. They knew nothing about Jesus Christ. They worshipped gods that had been formed by clay and marble from human hands, from human imaginations, and so they looked human. They acted human because they were human. They were 
human invention. But they were without Christ. They were waiting, not knowing, but they were continuing on on a path, chasing after gods that meant little, were just clay and marble. And Paul says they're, they're Christless state was a tragedy. And everyone who's here today was all without Christ at one point. We have all been Christless. And maybe there's some that are here today who are still Christless without Christ. And when we don't have Christ, we follow after. God has created within us the desire to worship something that is greater than ourselves. And so we all follow after some kind of pagan god. For the, for the Ephesians, it was the Greek gods. But for Americans, it may be the academy. It may be seeking education. How can I work to learn as much as I can so that I can be the best I can be? And we follow after education. Or maybe it's sports. Maybe it's money. Maybe that's the, the goal of the education is you got to get a good education so you can make more money so you can have more stuff that you don't need. We continue to work and chase after these. Maybe it's power. Maybe we're trying to make as many friends as we can and network so we can ex expand our influence to, to gain power. Maybe it's family. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with loving your family. In fact, Scripture tells us over and over that we are to love our families. We'll provide for our families. We're to ensure all the family's needs are met. But if we spend all of our time focusing on the family and not on Christ, then we lose the point. So maybe you're here today and you're following after some kind of false pagan god that we've built up for ourselves. Maybe it's something I didn't even mention. But it's a false god that seems to hold promise for you. If you do these things, if you pursue these things, you think you're going to find fulfillment. But when you gain more money, or you get more education, or you have more children so you have a larger family, and you just keep coming up empty, it's because it's an empty promise. The only true promise comes from Christ. Without Christ... You are without hope. My desire for you is that you find hope in Christ. So Paul says that they were without Christ, but he also says that they were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. They were without citizenship. God had established the nation of Israel as his people, and he built them into his people, and he gave them all that they needed. He gave them his law. He gave them his blessings. He gave them land. But how could a Gentile become a Jew? The Gentile was not born into the nation of Israel. It was a special nation. It was God's nation. It had been set apart. That couldn't be said for any Gentile nation. Each of us here today was born into a nation. We were born into, whether it be the United States or Germany or Mexico, we were all born into a physical nation, but 
we were, more importantly, we were born into a kingdom. Scripture tells us that we were born into a kingdom of darkness. We were born into a kingdom of sin. And we were born, well, David says in Psalm 51, 5, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me, because we've all been born into rebellion against God. We were born into a Gentile nation. In fact, Paul wrote back in verse 3, he says, We all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others are also. We were born without a, a citizenship in the nation, the kingdom of God. We're all foreigners wandering around without a home. He says, not only were you without the Messiah, without the Christ, not only were you excluded from the citizenship of Israel, but you were also foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without the covenant. God had made a covenant with Abram when he promised that he would become a father to a great nation. He changed his name as a seal of that promise from Abram to Abraham. God included a promise for the Gentiles in that promise to Abraham. He said that the nation of Israel would become a nation for the world. But he didn't make a promise with the Gentile nations. He made the promise with Israel, with with Abraham. These Ephesians were strangers to this promise. They were aliens from this promise. And the Jews never let them forget it either. Said, you are not like us. We are God's people. We are set apart. In fact, the Pharisees would pray something like this. Oh God, I give thanks that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. They became puffed up, proud to be the people of God. Friends, let us understand that we are now members of a covenant. But we were all without the promise of God at one time. We were outside of the promise. We have become recipients as the church of God's promises through the ministry of reconciliation that we'll look at in just a moment. But that doesn't mean that we get to be like the Pharisees, proud and puffed up and looking down upon others as they are not of the promise. We shouldn't be looking down upon those who are outside of the covenant. We should be loving our neighbors. We shouldn't be inviting our friends to join us in the promise by telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people without Christ, without a citizenship in his kingdom... And without a promise from God, in other words, people who are sinners, when I have a friend who says, sinners are going to act like sinners. They don't know God. They're not going to act in the way according with the word of God. Don't expect them to. Because we don't look down on them for that. Rather, we sympathize because we were there also. For Christ worked in us. 
We love them as Christ loved them. We love them as we love ourselves, for we were all once without the promise. But notice he continues, he says, that you were without hope. Without hope. Hopelessness was common in the ancient world. Uh, The philosophies of the ancient world were predominantly empty. They were vain. They held no promise. And even those that did, as, as they would look around, they would see all these traditions began to disappear. Religion was powerless to help men and women who were facing life or death. There was mass hopelessness. People longed to be able to see what was on the other side of life, and they couldn't penetrate the veil. They longed for some kind of hope, but there was none. And even in our world today, people are living without hope. They're looking and and trying to find a way to live. How How do I continue to muster up the strength to live day to day when I see no hope? There are many today who are living without hope. In fact, suicide is the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 18. 10 to 18. More teenagers and young adults die by suicide than by cancer, by heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, and chronic lung disease combined. In fact, each year over 42,000 Americans die by suicide. And at at last count, there were an average of 117 suicides per day in the United States. And all statistics seem to indicate that that number has jumped up with the pandemic and the lockdown over. People are living without hope. Maybe... You're here today and you've lived without hope. I I know there's been a time for me when I lived without hope. But we've found our hope. We place hope in the great defender of hope. We place our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. A hope for a resurrection to come. And we look forward to the day when we, we join our Savior and Lord in our resurrected bodies. We sing about this hope. We preach about this hope. We cling to this hope in times of sorrow. But do we share this hope with the hopeless world? Friends, people are living without hope and people are dying without hope. But through Christ Jesus, we have hope. And we need to share that hope to a lost and dying world. And then notice he says, not only were you without the Messiah, not only were you without the citizenship, not only were you foreigners to the covenant, not only were you without hope, so you were without God. In Ephesians, what? We have gods. We have plenty of gods. We have more gods than we know what to do with. When Paul walked into Athens, he found a city full of idols, temples all over the place. And he said, uh, there was this temple to an unknown God, just in case they missed it. Well, the Ephesians were not so different. No matter how religious people may be, there's only one true God. That is Yahweh, the God of the Bible. 
because you were without that God, the one that matters. There are many religious people in our world, and they believe that their religion will help them. We have devout Muslims. We have devout Hindus. We have devout Buddhists. Or will their religion save them? I believe for many years, just because my parents were good people and I was raised in church, I was good to go. I was religious. I knew all the Bible stories. Right? I was not saved. I was without God. I didn't know God. I knew of God, but didn't know Him. Didn't have a relationship with Him. Maybe you're here today and you're like I was. You think, I, oh, I go to church. I'm good. I try to live my life the best I can. I try to be good to everybody. Scripture tells us that you can do all kinds of good works. But without Christ... You are without hope. You are without God. The only way that you can have God is to have Christ. The Gentiles were without God, but this was not caused by God, but rather Paul wrote in Romans that the Gentiles knew God, but they refused to honor Him. They had rebelled against Him, and and throughout history we see a pattern emerge that If you study sociology and history, they'll say, for some reason, this weird development happened where all these people had a a plurality of gods, and then these certain strong ones began to have this monotheistic belief, and, and that was different from history. But the Bible tells us that the original plan, the original design was there is one God, And people begin to chase after other gods. That our sociologists, our historians, have it backwards. In fact, he says from the beginning of Genesis, we see the story of the decline of the Gentiles. Everybody starts to go their own way, follow after their own gods. But then one day, God speaks to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make a promise with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to build you into a great nation. You're going to be my people. And so from then on, the Old Testament becomes a story about the nation of Israel. God separated them, made them holy, so that he could save the Gentiles as well. For Jesus said in John chapter 4, the salvation is of the Jews. God called the Jews out, called Israel out, so that he might reveal himself to all humanity. He gave to Israel his word, his law, the prophets, and then through them the Savior. They were to be a light to the Gentiles, that they may also become part of God's kingdom. But the sad part of the story is that instead of being a light to the Gentiles, Instead, they became just like the Gentiles. And here's a warning. When the church is least like the world, it does the most for the world. The Gentiles were separated from the Jews. But Christ worked on their behalf. And 
For many of us here today, we were like the Gentiles that Paul's been writing about here. Jesus worked on our behalf too, and for the Gentiles at the church at Ephesus and for us, Christ reconciled us. Notice with me verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressing in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We were reconciled by Christ. We are reconciled by Christ. The words that we see here in verse 13, but now. Well, if you look back at verse 4, he says, but God. That you were dead in your trespasses, but God, who is rich in mercy, he saved you. And here he says, you were without. But now. Things are different. Because of Christ, everything has changed. Because of Christ, you were children under wrath. But now you are alive in the Spirit. Before Christ, you were without. But now, God has worked through the person of Jesus in an amazing intervention. Now, there's a key word here we, we have to take a second to explore. The word is hostility. We see it used in verse 14 and verse 16. There's a state of enmity. It's an unfriendliness. There's opposition to one another, even warfare. So Paul says that in verse 14, there was hostility. There was warfare. There was disunity between the Jews and the Gentiles. They didn't like one another. In fact, they hated one another. But then, more importantly in Verse 16, it says there was a hostility between sinners and God. Humanity hated God. There was hostility from our end toward God, but God loved us, and he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So, but now Jesus has changed the situation. Jesus set about on the greatest peace mission the world has ever known. He came from God the Father to bring peace to us. To reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to one another. To reconcile the Jews and the Gentiles together. To unite together as one in the body of Christ, that is, his church. The word reconcile means to, to bring together again. And sin is the great separator of this world. Sin's been dividing people since the beginning. When Adam and Eve first sinned, what was the first thing? When God came and said, what happened? Adam said, that woman messed everything up. But not only did it cause problems between them, he says, that woman that you gave me, right? It's your fault, God. If you hadn't given me that woman and she hadn't led me astray, we would be good. There was this division between God and man. There was this division between man and his wife. And then you get to their, their children. 
right? Abel and Cain. And they have this separation. They have this problem. And it results in the death of Abel by Cain's hand. Genesis 6, we see the world was filled with violence. And if you turn on the news today, I got, I got a notification because of, uh, what was it, six or eight people were, were slain just this past week. Violence takes place because of sin. God had set apart the nation of Israel to be under him and to be a light to the nations. And through that nation, Jesus Christ came into the world. And through Christ Jesus, we have reconciliation with God. We have reconciliation with one another. Now, the church didn't understand this at first. Because the Jews had been separated from the Gentiles in nearly every way. They had the law that God had given them. And so this question came up. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, do you have to first be a Jew? Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to follow the law? And as the apostles met together and they began to discuss this and Peter had this great vision, they determined, no, you do not have to be a Jew to be a Christian. They both come to salvation the same way through faith in Christ Jesus. In order for there to be a reconciliation between the Gentiles and the Jews, the wall of separation between them had to come down, and Jesus obliterated that wall when he died on the cross. In fact, that, that great curtain that hung between the, the Holy of Holies and the rest of the world, it was ripped from top to bottom, torn in two, because Christ provided access to the Father for all mankind. We don't have to go to a priest. And we don't have to wait once a year for the priest to go into the Holy of Holies. We have access to God all the time through Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ created from two hostile groups to one another, one body, one group under Christ. Those who were aliens are now a holy nation. Those who are strangers are now family. Those who were without hope now have one hope. And those who were without God come under the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have been reconciled in every way. And we should continue as one under Christ. He's reconciled us to one another. It's time for us to act like that. Forgiveness and recommitment to one another, serving one another. The enmity should be gone because it was paid for by our Lord Jesus Christ. Our passage tells us that Jesus is our, our peace, that he created peace, that he proclaimed the good news of peace. The body of Christ should be at peace in him. In fact, if you read this church covenant on the wall over here, it says this. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and Christian courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We are to be reconciled not only with God, but with one another.
Maybe there's someone here today that you need to reconcile with. Maybe there's been some hostility between you that you need to resolve. Christ has resolved hostility through reconciliation by his death on the cross. Look with me at verse 19. So then you who, then you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also were being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. We are unified by God in the Trinity. This is a triune act by God. If you look back over the verses that we've already examined, count the number of times God uses one in those verses. He emphasizes the unifying work of Christ. We are made one. He created one man. He brought together in one body under one spirit, the church of Christ. We are unified by Christ in his kingdom. We're no longer foreigners, but we're one nation, citizens of of heaven. Israel had been God's nation, but they rejected Christ the Messiah, and that kingdom was taken from them and given to a new nation. The apostle Peter wrote to the church in 1 Peter 2, 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Sin divided mankind into various nations, but Christ unites mankind into one nation with a citizenship in heaven. We're united by Christ and his kingdom. We're united by the Father and his family. Paul writes that we are members of God's household. Through faith in Christ, we're not only taken out of sin, but we're placed into a new family with a new father and lo and behold guess what there are brothers and sisters in that family we've been adopted and we find that we have this whole group that we can identify with this family is a an eternal family and those that are still residing here on the earth we live in union with and those who have already gone on we will be united with in the future We are all brothers and sisters in the family of God, no matter our race, no matter our nationality, no matter our physical distinctions. We are one if we profess Christ Jesus as Lord, united in God's, the Father's family. And he says we are united by the Spirit in his sanctuary. Now, in the book of Genesis, God walked with Adam and Eve. And then they sinned, and there was this great division. They were no longer in communion with one another. And so God decided to dwell with his people. He led them by a pillar of fire, by a a pillar of cloud. He had them build a tabernacle where he would come and dwell and be with them. And then eventually they built the temple. But then the temple was destroyed. God dwelt in the body of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, our Lord, was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. God with us, 
And as here is God with us, man took the nails and drove them through his wrists, through his feet, into a wooden cross where he hung and he bled and he died. Pay the penalty for our sin and unite us together. He says today the Spirit lives in the church. The church is God's temple. The church is God's sanctuary. God doesn't dwell in the building, but he dwells in the hearts of those who have believed in Christ and who have trusted him. He lives in the church. The church is built, it says, upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What is that? Prophets and the apostles, right? We have the the words the prophets and the apostles wrote, we believe, is the word of God to us. Their testimony to him. We have that as our foundation. And that foundation, the, the cornerstone of that foundation, is the testimony of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ is the subject of this whole book. So when we trust in Christ, when we build our lives on the foundation of the Word, then we build the building together of living stones. Christ took the dead stones, the Spirit took the dead dead stones and made them alive, and we are living stones built together with Christ as the cornerstone to become the church. And it is only when sin is allowed to creep in and the focus is taken off of the Word, and the focus is taken off of Christ, that the unity begins to break down. Now both the Greeks and the Jews, they had temples. They understood temples. The Jews had Herod's temple in Jerusalem. The, the Greeks had their temple to Diana. Both of those temples were destroyed. But Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not overcome it. The Holy Spirit builds this temple by taking those dead rocks and making them living stones framed together in the body of Christ. So have you surrendered to unity? Are you living reconciled to one another as Christ reconciled us together through his death on the cross? Have you experienced the grace of God? Or are you still distant from him? If you are, repent and turn from your sin to Christ today. That's it. If you would please stand with me as we have a time of invitation. Maybe you are here today and you feel like you are uh, a lot like Israel. You've been given a spiritual privilege, right? You've, you've grown in the church, yet you still reject God. Or maybe you're here and you deliberately live in sin and disobedience to God. Romans chapter 3 says it doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. We have all lived against God. All fallen short of the glory of God. Call on Christ and be saved today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity that we have to read from your word. The testimony that we have of Paul the Apostle the nature that you have changed, that we were without disunified 
you have given all to us through your son Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to God. We have been reconciled to one another. United through the act of God. May we live in accordance with that. May we share that message with a lost and dying world. Lord, we give this time an invitation, time of response to you. May you work, may your spirit work in our hearts. Do what you will with this time. We offer it up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hold one minute.